Welcome to this week's episode of Business Wise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian philosopher and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. Well, judging from uh, the number of listeners to our New Year's episode, subject of postulates seems to be a pretty popular one. And while I don't claim to be an expert on the subject, there is a wealth of data on it from Alron Hubbard. And some of it has direct bearing on building organizations, expansion, and handling staff. And on this subject, we have some pretty incredible data to share with you from Mr. Hubbard today. So as a reminder and a review from our episode from New Year's Day, Mr. Hubbard defines a postulate as a term that means to cause a thinkingness. It is a specially applied word, and it is defined as causative thinkingness. So when a person makes a postulate, it's a causative thing. It's something that precedes an action, or it could precede a state of beingness. A person could make the postulate that they're a loser, and they thereafter operate as a loser, or they could be a winner, and they could operate as a winner. These are postulates, these are considerations, which is also defined as a continuing postulate. Now, postulates are a two-edged sword. You have positive postulates that can take you to the stars. And there are negative postulates that can take you straight to hell. The common denominator on these things is that it is ultimately you who are making them, good or bad, positive or negative. So the better you understand them, the better off you're going to be. And this is how come you are the captain of your own ship around here. You want to go to hell? You're very capable of arranging that, my friend. (laughs) Would you rather be heaven-bound? You can create that, too. The direction is up to you and your postulates, 100%. Not only that, but if you get really good at this, as you will soon discover if you keep listening today, you can be a remarkable influence on the postulates of others. I'm going to pull this information today from a lecture by L. Ron Hubbard, dated the 3rd of March, 1972, which was a lecture he was giving to students training for a new position he had created on his famous organizing board, a position called the Establishment Officer, or ESTO for short. So when he talks about an ESTO here, he's talking about an Establishment Officer. So let's define it. First of all, let's make sure you understand the term establishment. Because judging from the rather poor establishment I see in too many members' companies, this term probably bears some clarification. So Mr. Hubbard's definition is, quote, the act of improving the general level of all stats. Stats are short for statistics. So the act of improving the general level of all stats. How about that? I bet you thought establishment is the opposite of production, but as you can see, it's about raising production. It's raising the general level. So if you, for instance, have a business or a company, and you feel like you're kind of stuck in a level of production, and you're not without a tremendous amount of effort, not able to increase it very much, or if you increase it and then it drops, and you increase it and it drops, you're stuck at a level of production, that only means you need to do some more establishment. That's what that means. So establishment isn't the opposite of production. It's about raising the general level of production. He also goes on to define it. He says it consists of quarters, personnel, training, hatting, which means giving people the functions and duties of their posts, files, lines, supplies, 
and material, all things necessary to establishment. So the ESTO or establishment officer can deal with any of these subjects, you know, training of staff, hiring of staff, rearrangement of the quarters or the spaces. So just to be precise, here's Mr. Hubbard's definition. Uh, if you remember, the organizing board is made up of seven divisions. So here's his definition. Quote, one who establishes a division. So the establishment officer puts in the divisional personnel, lines, materiel, and trains hats and maintains and expands the established division to the benefit of the organization and its staff. That's Mr. Harper's definition of establishment officer. So the original intention, and still is, that every division has its own establishment officer. So it's not all about just production in that division. Somebody is establishing it as well. So the ESTO is an establishment specialist. Now, there are a few other terms here I think we better make sure you have before we get into the lecture. First of all, somewhat familiar to many of you, listen to business-wise, the term POST, P-O-S-T. We really prefer this term in the Hubbard Management System over job or position. The term POST means, this is a definition of Mr. Hubbard, a post or terminal is an assigned area of responsibility and action which is supervised in part by an executive. So that's Mr. Arbor's definition. So a post has a stronger connotation on the subject responsibility, really, doesn't it? Then that's my job or that's my position. For, you know, it's used in the military. You have a post, you don't desert that post. It's, a, it's a, an assigned area of responsibility and action. So an organization is really made up of posts, isn't it? And if you have that concept, it's definitely a stronger organization. So we use the word post. And then we have the term ARC. And from Mr. Hubbard, quote, a word from the initial letters of affinity, reality, communication, which together equate to understanding. So if you think about it, understanding means you're in communication with it, you have affinity for it, and you have reality with it. You have some reality can also mean agreement. You know, if you have a reality that a certain sports team is the best team or the most remarkable, for some reason, sports team in the in the city, and somebody else is, say, there's two teams in that city, like Chicago, you got the White Sox and the Cubs. I made the bad mistake of thinking somebody was a Cubs fan. He almost took my head off. There's definitely a lack of reality there. He was a White Sox fan, so lack of agreement. You know, it's not real to him that I would think he would be a Cubs fan. So you get the idea. So a word, ARC is a word from the initial letters of affinity, reality, communication, which together equate to understanding. It is pronounced by stating its letters, A-R-C. It has come to mean good feeling, love, or friendliness, such as he was in ARC with his friend. So that's the term ARC. He also uses the term DEV-T. DEV-T stands for, and I should probably do a podcast series on this, Developed unnecessary traffic. Doesn't mean just develop traffic. You, you want to develop traffic if you're trying to create new customers, create more business, but it's the unnecessary traffic. Developed unnecessary traffic. This is a, quite a, uh, it's almost one of the original words of the Harvard Management System. He defines it in 1959. He says, Developed traffic is a statement you will begin to see now. It is condemnatory. The symbol DEVT, D E V hyphen T, means on a dispatch, Quote, this dispatch exists only because its originator has not handled a situation, problem, or an executive order. It also means, quote, responsibility for your post is very low. 
Also, it means, quote, you should be handling this without further traffic. It also means you are manufacturing new traffic because you aren't handling old traffic. Also, it means for God's sake, L. Ron Hubbard. So that's Dev T. Then he also makes reference to a gentleman by the name of Dale Carnegie, American lecturer and author, uh, lived from 1888 to 1955, and he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And his ideas were based originally on public speaking, but he later extended to include salesmanship and psychology, which means if you really want to be an expert at hiding your feelings and being insincere, study how to win friends and influence people. It's not really part of the Hubbard management system, let's put it that way. And then he mentions an individual by the name of Wally Matheson, which is a nickname for Volney Matheson, who uh, worked with Mr. Hubbard to build the first devices that could easily measure thought and changes of thought, which were built according to Mr. Hubbard's specifications for the purposes of his research and the things he was developing in the way of mental or spiritual counseling. And then uh, here's another term he comes up with here, or he's using here. It's actually not probably altogether unfamiliar with all of you, especially those of you in England, Thede Weedy, which comes from England. It means sweetness and light. Everything's beautiful, but the individual who's kind of Thede Weedy can't really confront the physical universe or any outness. You know, they see, well, they don't see practically, you know, somebody getting beaten up in the street or they think uh, they're just some kids roughhousing and having fun. They, they can't really confront things and everything is sweetness and light. That's Thede Weedy. Then he uses the term TRs, letter T, letter R, small s, TRs, which is an abbreviation for training regimens or routines, often referred to as training drills. These are practical drills used in Hubbard management and other places. They're just practical drills which address and can greatly increase the student's ability in such areas as communication, confront, and control. So when we say someone has good TRs, we mean that they have a high level of confront, they can communicate, and they can easily control the things in their environment. You can see someone, a very competent person, a professional person who's got good TRs handling, uh, say he's a carpenter, and he, he can confront his tools, he can confront the problems, and it's almost magical how simple things are and how they can throw things together. I just watched a friend of mine throw together a reception desk in an afternoon. Good TRs on that subject, maybe not such good TRs on other subjects. You know, you can have bad TRs with you know, a fellow can have terrible TRs when it comes to talking to women. He can barely get the words out. So that's the word TRs. Then he refers to the tone scale, which is a scale that shows emotional tones of a person. You can easily observe that when you see someone who's obviously in grief. They're grief-stricken. They're crying. They're sad. They're morose. You can't seem to snap them out of it. You would say that's a low tone. You wouldn't call that a high tone. Then you see someone very, very cheerful. And you'd say that they are in a higher tone. So this is a scale, and he says the tone scale plots a descending spiral of life from full vitality and consciousness through half vitality and half consciousness down to death. And there are different numbers assigned. Death is zero, and enthusiasm would be tone four. And then he goes into tone 40. That's another term he uses here, which is obviously a very, very high level on the tone scale. And it's the highest tone shown on the tone scale. 
As used to describe an action, tone 40 is an execution of intention. It is a positive postulate with no counterthought expected, anticipated, or anything else. So you can probably get the idea of this. You can easily see that someone who is very low toned, their postulates, what they are intending to do, do not seem very strong, but as they ascend the tone scale into the higher bands of enthusiasm or exhilaration or uh, the serenity of the very top level. You know, these people who can really seem to make things happen without much of a fuss, I almost say they're at tone 40. They're very high on the tone scale, very high in their own personal beingness, and things just sort of happen around them. They make things happen with their intention. That's very high tone. We call that tone 40. So with these terms under our belt, I want to tackle this lecture. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, over the next two episodes, we're going to cover the subject of postulates. And this first one, and both of them are going to be based on this lecture. But in the first section, the one you're listening to today, I'm going to emphasize the positive postulate. And in next week's episode, we're going to discuss the negative postulate, and then we're going to bring it all together. Okay, so he says here, starts out by saying, so there is a piece of magic the establishment officer can engage in, and it's called the positive postulate. Now, that doesn't go just to holding it in your head and your attitude and the way you hold your hands. You can say so. Very funny. You can tell this person he is a typist, and if your TRs are good enough, he will be one. Now you're into the real stuff. Interesting. You can just tell the person you're the typist. And if you say it tone 40 with enough intention and your TRs are good, your, your confront, your communication skills, very natural, very positive, suddenly the guy can type. And he says, now you're into the real stuff. He goes on to say this, and that's why you should only speak to people in post titles. Very interesting. I catch this out a lot with the members. When they address their dispatches, when they write their communications to each other, they address it to the name of the individual rather than the post. But, you know, it seems like a small thing. Like, why does, you know, why is YZ2S making us, you know, when we submit for our model of admin know-how, they want to make sure the dispatches are addressed to a post. Like, that seems kind of like silly. It's not silly at all. Listen to what he says here. And that's why you should only speak to people in post titles. Never say Joe. Always say his post title. It's part of a positive postulate line. You are talking to a beingness known as a file clerk. See, you're talking to the file clerk. You're not talking to Sally. You go out for coffee with Sally. You're not talking to the file clerk anymore there either. So don't call her file clerk when you're going out to coffee with Sally. If you want to take her on a date, don't call her file clerk. But when you are when she's occupying that position, she has a certain beingness, doesn't she? She's the file clerk. So you say, file clerk, can you grant me the file on so-and-so? And, -so? and at, you can probably imagine that just the fact of addressing the person by that post title has kind of a magical effect of, like, it's a postulate. You are the file clerk. You're obviously super confident, super competent, super efficient, and I'm going to get my file very quickly. And suddenly you do. It materializes like magic, okay? And start calling her Sally and see how it goes, okay? It makes a difference, especially as you run it through the organization. 
So he says, you are talking to a beingness known as a mimeotypist. Mimeo, by the way, <laughs> for any of you uh, younger folks, Mimeo was a reproduction machine for documents and so forth. You have, of course, much more sophisticated systems now, but it used to be called Mimeo, and you had a typist. You had to type a Mimeo stencil. So he says here, you are talking to a beingness known as a Mimeo typist. Now, rather than get it artificial and rather than make it sound odd, why you can shorten the title. These are Mr. Hubbard's words. You can do this, do that, but don't talk to Mary. Talk to the machine operator. And of course, you can call him operator. Operator, switch gears. Operator, get me 48 copies of this. Okay. But then he goes on to say, but don't call him Joe. Don't think you're getting in with ARC by the personal touch and the Dale Carnegie. There you go. There, there's Mr. Hubbard bringing up Dale Carnegie and ARC, but it's kind of like a false ARC, like, hey, Joe, you know, can you do this for me? Instead of going, operator, I need 48 copies of these, you know, and now it's, that's a tone 40. That's a postulate, you see, that you're laying now in and creating more agreement on with the individual you're addressing within the organization. Whereas the Dale Carnegie approach might be more, he uses the word saccharine later, like all sweet, sickly sweet, like, hey, Joe, do me a favor. Can you blah, blah, blah? And now you can see how that is taking away from the beingness, that professional beingness and the competence that's desired. I'm just going to repeat that. Don't think you're getting in with ARC by the personal touch in the Dale Carnegie because you won't make it. What you will get is Joe. You will not get a Mimeo operator and you'll breed Dev T. Boy. Positive postulate. These are Mr. Hubbard's words. Then Mr. Hubbard goes on to describe a machine. I'm not covering every detail of these next couple of paragraphs, but it's very interesting. He's referring to something called a beep meter. And he's describing it here. He says, uh, we have a machine. I'm very sorry that the machine was not operational when it got to England and I mean to have the thing rebuilt. It's called a beep meter. And wherever a person has a painful spot on his body, if you put the electrode on it, the machine goes beep. But right alongside of it, it doesn't beep. It's a beep meter. It was developed for chiropractors and so on by old Wally Matheson from a model furnished him by a chiropractor. And I have one of those models, which is out of repair in England. But it's very funny. If you have somebody hold this meter against his cheek 10, 15, 20 feet away, a person, and he's describing a person with good TRs, can make it connect. He can make it connect and he can make it go beep. But he hasn't got any wires and he's nowhere near the machine. And there he is and the guy holds the electrode and it's one of these tricks. You just make it beep 20 feet away. So he's describing a phenomena that a person whose TRs are good right, who's got some training, with this beep meter, 20 feet away, a person can hold the electrode against their cheek, no sound, and the, and the individual from 20 feet away evidently is emanating something or creating something at the other end around that electrode that can make the connection and make it beep. Now, this may sound a little far-fetched to some of you, it may not sound very far-fetched to some others of you, but look, we've all had this experience where when we put our attention on somebody, they've turned around. doesn't happen all the time, but it's, it happens a lot. What are you putting out there that impacts the other person's, what we might call a universe? What's, 
What's impinging on them? There's evidently a flow or an ability to cause an effect at a distance that beings have, and it can be enhanced with training, and it can be enhanced with discipline. Okay, and this is what he's talking about here when he's talking about TRs and using positive postulates. So Mr. Howard goes on to say, nothing theedy-weedy about it. It's factual. I will really have to get that beat meter fixed up so that I can have establishment officers fool with it. But at first, you don't believe it, that you can have an effect on something like that at a distance across thin air. But you can have, if your TRs are good, and if your, if your tone 40 is good, you can practically blast somebody into being exactly what he's supposed to be now, so that he doesn't even question it. Okay, so we're going to get into this more in detail in our next episode. But look, what is the effect of your intention, your postulates on another person? All right. If you're approaching one of your employees, man, this guy, I can tell he's going to be terrible. He's not going to do this job very well at all. He's, he's a brand new salesman. He's jittery. He's too slick. He's too this. He's too that. Or, you know, he's, he's too old. Or you come in there with those considerations, those postulates. What are you going to get at the other end? What is the effect that's going to be created in the universe of another? Is it going to be good or bad? You know, you watch this. We talk about this. Uh, we, you know, we love to use sports analogies on, on business-wise. You know, the, we describe players who make other players better. It's almost the highest accolade you could give a superstar. Some superstars come in onto a team and players around them actually do worse. And others, they do way better. What's the difference? It's the postulate that that superstar has towards the rest of the team. He makes the other players better through his postulates. Of course, you're going to play great. You're playing with me. Of course, I'm going to make you a star as well. Because that's how I roll. That's just the way I am. There's not even a doubt or any other consideration in that person's universe and people around them perform better. This is one of the interesting phenomena that if you've ever met anyone, I never had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Hubbard in person, but I've met many, many people and talked to many people that did know him personally and worked with him alongside of him. And one of the most common things you'll ever hear from out of their mouths is that they were able to do things they never thought they could do. They were able to do far more than they ever expected that they could. And of course, one of the reasons was is because Mr. Ever knew they could. Oh, go get that. I'm sure you can. Or take the ship out of harbor by yourself. I'm sure you can handle that. And, you know, there's no question in his mind that you can do it. So there's, suddenly you have no question in your mind that you can do it. Even though when you walked up to him, you know, hoping that maybe he would bail you out or help you out, you know, ah, no, you can handle it. I know you will. And you did. And you were able to pull off things that you never thought you could. And, you know, we can talk about Mr. Hubbard, but we can also talk about many other great individuals I'm sure you've been around in your life, or hopefully you have, and your experience been around one of these individuals who just expects the best out of everybody, and that's what they get. That's because that's their postulate. They have their own Tone 40 postulate that you're already great, and so you are. So this is something that you can cultivate as an executive. We can get more into this, but I just want, and we will in the next episode, but imagine approaching your staff furious. You're all a bunch of losers. Like, we all do this. I catch myself doing this, unfortunately, all too frequently. You know, losing my cool, losing my temper, and next thing you know, I'm expecting the worst from everybody, and guess what? That's what I get. 
And same thing with, with others. I've observed it time and time again. It's when you go in there with the expectancy that they're going to do great, that postulate, that they do do great. Now, here he spells it out very, very clearly and succinctly with this paragraph. He says, now, of course, tone 40 isn't yelling. It is simply the degree of intention you can put into some of it. It's the amount of intention. Now, you radiate that intention if your expectancy is good. If your expectancy is bad, your expectancy is critical. If you got a lot of overts on somebody, oh, an overt is a, is a moral transgression against another. You know, you stole from them or, you know, seducing their girlfriend or whatever you're doing that is not cool or, you know, saying bad things about them behind their back and denigrating them to others and so forth. He says, if you, if you got a lot of overts on somebody, something like that and so forth, he has some recognition of this. He senses this. So if you've got an attitude and you try to cover it up with good old Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, you take that approach to them and you're trying to slick it over with some kind of covert persona. Hello. Don't think that the person doesn't pick it up. What a jerk. They'll pick it up. He says he senses this. He might, but he might not sense it consciously, but he just knows it doesn't quite communicate. So you're going in there with that, with a, with a bad expectancy with the guy that he's actually not going to perform, that he's, you know, ready to get fired any minute and he's actually again everybody. Well, they'll sense it no matter how much you try to cover it up. It doesn't quite register with them. And then he goes on to say this. Now, your expectancy, you don't have necessarily have to be a super saccharine, ARC, theedy, you know, sweet and all this sort of thing. You don't have to be loud or haughty or anything of the sort. It's just the normal action. But your expectancy and what you say and so on can have a fantastic effect. Because it is incredible, you might not want to believe it. L. Ron Hubbard, I'm going to leave this subject for now. I think it's a good point to take a break. This subject was too important and probably too embracive and too many concepts to just cover in one episode. So we've now covered positive postulates and how those can work for you. And very, very important that you understand this. I do hope that in your approach and handling people and dealing with people henceforth, you keep this in mind and take a tone 40 attitude and expectancy that of course they're going to do it. You're the typist. So you're going to type. You're the salesman. So you're going to sell. You're the mechanic, so you're going to mechanic. You know, you're going to do a great job. Why? Because that's the expectancy, or you know, or you're the goaltender, and you're gonna you're gonna do fantastic. You, it's it's just your assumption, your expectancy, and it comes across. And don't try to fake it, because that will not register. Anyway, if you pick that up out of this episode, you've picked up some real gems. But in our next one, I'm going to cover the other side of the coin the negative postulate, what that does, and uh, some other bits and pieces of the mechanics of postulates, which I think you really should have, and which he goes on to uh, detail later on in this lecture. We'll cover that next week. But for now, I think you have a pretty good start on the subject of positive postulate and how to use postulates in handling others, and of course yourself. So put it to good use. Let me know how you're doing. Write us at info at wiseeastus.org if you care to. We'd love to hear from our listeners and their wins. Meanwhile, thank you very much for listening. We'll talk again next week.